Okay, reading from uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and no desire and desire no longer is stirred. Then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that we would uh, uh, come to your word with uh, reverence and, uh, Father, that uh, you would be teaching us uh, great and challenging truths. We pray, Father God, for ourselves and for the children that we would respond to your word with uh, faith and uh, repentance. And we pray these things now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Does anyone remember the comedian George Burns? Well, he... Yeah, some people do. He was very old. Uh, he lived to the age of 100. And uh, in his senior years, he was interviewed and uh, he was asked how it feels to be so old. And uh, this was his reply. He said, well, it's like this. I get up out of bed in the morning... I go out onto the porch, I pick up the paper, I read the obituaries column, and if my name's not listed, I breathe a sigh of relief and I go inside and have a cup of coffee. <laughs> Sounded funnier when he said it, but uh, of course, you know, what it shows is that he was, he was doing something which is really valuable to do. He was facing up to the reality that his days were numbered, and that's a good thing because, you know what, uh, there's some people who never do that. There are some people who go through life uh, as if they think that life 
is never going to end and uh, they don't deal with their own uh, impending mortality. It's also not uh, dissimilar to the way our society is kind of structured these days, which uh, isolates um, elderly people from younger people. Uh, when people get elderly, they go and live in their, you know, in the retirement villages. Uh, I'm told that I will soon be eligible to live in one of the over 50s or over 55 uh, year old places. So you're taking older people out of the community and putting them into their own communities which means that younger people don't get uh, as much exposure to older people and uh, therefore it's a bit more difficult for younger people to actually see uh, old age and to see what happens and to uh, face the reality that one day they too will be old. Now, when we, as we come to the closing chapters of Ecclesiastes, the teacher says that these topics of death and old age are excellent topics to talk about. Uh, not just for people who's, well, let's be open about this, uh, people whose week is kind of all planned around their doctor's appointments uh, and who have greater reason to be concerned about uh, whether or not their will is up to date, uh, but the author, the, the teacher in Ecclesiastes says that the topics of death and old age are great topics for young people to think about. It's great to think about these topics in your youth. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And uh, if you want to uh, open up your Bibles at Ecclesiastes, we're going to look firstly at what Ecclesiastes says about this issue of death. Now, in order to do that, we need to go back to the passage that Peter preached on uh, last week, uh, to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. So if you want to have that open in front of you, I'm going to read to you verses 1 to 4 of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And we'll look at what he has to say about death. Right, so in my Bible, you'll find that on page 475. What does he say? Well, he starts by saying a good name is better than fine perfume. That's a great proverb, isn't it? How true that is. And we'll all say amen to that. But then he says, and the day of death, better than the day of birth. And you scratch your head. Why is he saying that? It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man, the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Now you see what he's saying here? He says that it's, you're actually better off going to a funeral than to a party. Now, that's not the way we, you know, you'd think to yourself, well, hang on a moment, I think I'd rather go to a party. Thank you very much. But where is true wisdom to be found? Uh, where are we going to be uh, learning about the important truths of life? Well, the teacher says that, uh, that the profound truths about life don't come from immersing ourselves in pleasure, in verse 4, he says that the heart of the fool is in the house of pleasure. 
But the, the person who truly grows in wisdom is the one who finds themselves in the house of mourning. Now, I remember on one occasion, uh, when I was, when I first became a minister, in the first year of being a minister, there was a lot of things that I did for the first time. And uh, I remember doing my first ever high school evangelistic seminar. And we had a, there was a few of us involved in that, and we had a group of 100 or so uh, kids from Inverell High School. And we showed them an excerpt from the movie Dead Poets Society. You remember that one? Where Robin Williams plays the part of an uh, English literature teacher in a very posh, uh, elite private school in America. And he's talking to this group of boys... And he gets a photograph off the wall of the graduating class from many, many, many years ago. And he says to the boys, what are they doing now? And you know private schools will want to show you their alumni and what are they doing now? Well, they're heading up companies, they're in politics, they're great scientists and so on. He says to the boys, what are these boys doing now? And the answer is, well, they're pushing up daffodils. <laughs> They're food for worms. And uh, the Robin Williams character, his point was, uh, his point was, well, carp diem, seize the day uh, while you've still got it. And so we showed this expert excerpt and then I got around a group of kids and I said to them, well, what do you think about that? Do you ever think about uh, your own death? Now, what do you reckon the responses would have been? Of course not. <laughs> Come off it. We don't think about that. We're, we're kind of enjoying life. That's far from... And you know what? The very next thing I had to do on my agenda that day was I got in my car, I drove back to my house, I, I took off my jeans and my T-shirt, which is what you do wear for run, doing youth ministry, I put on my, my uh, suit and tie, drove down to Inverell Cemetery and I conducted my first ever funeral. <laughs> and as the body's going down into the ground... And I'm saying ashes to ashes, earth to earth, dust. You know, I'm thinking about those bulletproof kids back at the high school who are not actually facing up to the reality of mortality. And, uh, and, 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 and that was the reason why we wanted to raise issue with them so that they could start to think along those lines. Uh, and the, because the, the teacher here says that it is wise to think about death because in verse 2, death is the destiny of every man. And so what should the living do? Well, the living should take that to heart. Think about it. Consider it. And that's, it's a sentiment which uh, I found was captured very well in an inscription on a tombstone that someone found in a cemetery in America. And uh, let me share this with you because the... Uh, the, the person was preaching from the grave. The inscription read as follows. It said, Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As you are now, um, as I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. You like that? Preaching from the grave. I think I'd like that on my tombstone. I think that would be great. Someone inscribed or scratched a, a reply to the tombstone. 
And they wrote this. Uh, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, see, the teacher says it's good to think about death. And secondly, he says, well, it's good to think about old age. Why? Well, in chapters 11 and 12, he talks about age. And uh, we live in a society that uh, really values youth, don't we? Uh, Almost idolises youth because youth sells. And you see that in advertising. Um, The only ads, I'll speak generally here, but the only ads on TV where you'll find old people are the stars are ads for funeral plans and retirement villages. Have you noticed that? Uh, I love the one with Clive Robertson um, at the moment. But um, everything else, it's, it's about youth. It's always young, attractive, physically you know, good-looking people. And we live in that kind of society. Um, chapter 11 is very positive about being young. And what the teacher says here is, He says, well, play the game of life and enjoy it. Uh, You see it in uh, verse 7. He says, light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. Goes down in verse 9, be happy, young man, while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. He wants us to enjoy our youth. And you know why? Because it don't last very long. That's why. And uh, in uh, chapter 12, uh, because he says that, that youth gives way to old age. I was talking with a group of non-Christian seniors recently and they were telling me about the University of the Third Age. Have you heard of that? I've always wondered, what does that mean? <laughs> And they said, well, there's three ages in life. There's your childhood, that's the first age. There's your adulthood, that's the second age. And your retirement, that's your third age. And I'm thinking, what about the fourth age? They haven't mentioned that. And so what Ecclesiastes is wanting to say here is that uh, youth gives way to old age and old age gives way to, to death. And so... In, verses, in chapter 12, in verses 1 to 8, uh, there are three images of what comes after youth. Um, in, in verse 2, old age is pictured as, you know those periods of time when it just rains and rains and rains and rains every day? It's just non-stop raining. And Cassie and I, in our first year of marriage, we had about three months of rain both of our cars rusted to their death because uh, we lived on the coast. Uh, and you know those days you think, it's, when's it ever going to stop? You know, the stops raining but the clouds come back again. And he says, well, old age is like that, except it, it, it never stops. It, you can't reverse it. That's what it's like. And, and then he goes on uh, in, in verses 3 and 4 where he describes really what is an image of a... Of a of a household which is is decaying. Uh, He says there in verse 3, 
It's when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders in the house have ceased because there are few, and those looking through the windows of the house grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades and so on. And so it's like an old, old household that's winding down. And then in verses 5 to 6, he paints pictures of frailty as the old person moves uh, very slowly, very painfully and anxiously. Like that image there of the, uh, of the grasshopper just sort of limping along like as if someone's got a, in a walking stick. Uh, one of my friends, he's, um, uh, he's, he's uh, got young children and he's saying to me, you know, recently, when you've got young children, uh, you're always falling over their bicycles and their, uh, you know, their, and their, their tricycles and their skateboards and all this sort of thing. Well, he's just put his mother-in-law into a retirement hostel and he says, I go to visit at the retirement hostel, particularly at lunchtime when they're all in the dining room and outside the dining room, you know, you've got all of these parked walkers... <laughs> You know, all parked, and you've kind of got to fight your way past all of the, all of the walkers. Is that what they call them, walkers? What's that? Sorry. You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, it's it's your village I'm talking about too, Lil. <laughs> yeah, and, and so th- that's the picture, of th- that's being described here. And then comes the crunch in verses six and seven. Uh, where he says, remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And there is the picture in verses 6 and 7 of a well. A well is a spring of life. You draw the water of life from the well, but... This will is broken. And he says, remember God before you die. And it's really a message to, to young people. Um, he's saying, if, if you are young, then when you meet elderly people, what do you think? With their walking sticks, with their little walkers, with their arthritis, with their hearing aids, with their macular degeneration. What do you think? He says, well, guess what? One day, that'll be you. That'll be you. You might be able to play footy now and go surfing and play indoor cricket and you might be able to do all of those things, but one day, you too will be old and weary and worn and worried, your body will start to use, reach its use-by date and your brain may deteriorate. That's the way it is. So live it up. Enjoy yourself now while you can. Now, it's, it's depressing, isn't it? In fact, the whole book of Ecclesiastes has been intentionally depressing because, as I mentioned in the, um, uh, in the first sermon, it's saying that 
that there is nothing that's worth living for. Um, not money, not materialism, not pleasure, not even knowledge. In fact, Ecclesiastes is taught that in a world without God, nothing has ultimate value. So just eat and drink and try to have as much pleasure as you can in your meaningless days of your meaningless life that God gives you, if there's no God. And I said in the first sermon that Ecclesiastes is like a can of paint stripper. And you and I, we've covered our lives with all sorts of thinking and values and attitudes that are wrong. And so Ecclesiastes says, well, let's strip away those attitudes and those values so that we can start all over again. It's true, isn't it? Sometimes you've got to demolish something before you can rebuild and start the rebuilding process. And that's what Ecclesiastes aims to do. Because the world keeps on telling us that you can live a satisfying, fulfilling and meaningful life without God. And we can end up living as if the world is right. We say we believe in God and we want to serve God, but we can start thinking that, yeah, maybe, maybe my life would be more satisfying, maybe my life would be more meaningful, maybe my life would actually have some for a greater degree of fulfilment if only I shared the values of the world around me. And we as Christians can end up living lives that are not all that distinguishable from the world around us. And so what we need to do is we need to allow this book to strip away that deceit layer by layer. And so that's what, throughout the Ecclesiastes, the teacher has kept on posing the question, what is it that makes life truly meaningful? And so finally, in the, past, in the last two, two verses, uh, it answers those questions. Now, if you look at the last, two, two, last section there, it's not Koheleth, it's not the teacher that's speaking here, it's the, it's the editor, it's the one who's, who's written the book and put in the words of Koheleth. And uh, in verses 13 and 14, he says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now, what then is it that gives meaning to life? Well, it's not wealth, it's not pleasure, it's not even wisdom. You know what it is that brings meaning to life? Uh, it is the fact that there is a God and, it, and, and that this God is going to judge you. Um, the, the judgment of God is actually the thing which brings meaning uh, into our lives. Um, how can that be? I mean, people don't think of judgment that way, do they? Do you love your children? If you're, uh, let's say, a little girl under the age of 16, you know, and without having had any driving lessons, walks up to her dad and says, Hey, Dad, um, 
do you mind if I go and play in the car? Um, and Dad says, not a drama. Um, here's the keys. Um, take them. Do whatever you want to do with them. A little girl walks up to her dad and says, Dad, um, do you mind if I can, can I have the key, car keys because I'd like to go and play in the car? And Dad says, no. And if I ever see you in the car with the car, car keys trying to play with the car, I'm going to give you the biggest hiding that you've ever, heard, ever, ever experienced. Now, that's, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to judge you for that. Now, which dad loves his little daughter? It's the one who's actually prepared to say, I love you enough that I'm going to instruct you, I'm going to give you commands, and I'm going to punish you if you don't obey those commands. Because I love you. Otherwise, it's a free-for-all. And that's not loving. And God is not like that. Imagine if we had a God who said, I actually don't care how you live. I don't care how you live. Do whatever you want. It doesn't bother me. How valued would you feel by that God? Not valued at all. God loves us and his judgment is an expression of that love. It injects meaning um, and it means that our lives are not meaningless. In verse 14, he holds us accountable for every action of our lives, which means that God loves you and he cares for you. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter whether you live a five-star lifestyle or whether you live in squalor in a third-world country. You are valuable not because of your wealth, not because of the pleasure of your life, not because of your wisdom and education. You are valuable because God values you and he judges you. How do we know that God judges? How do we know that he loves us in that way? Well, Ecclesiastes doesn't actually answer that question for us. We need to go to the rest of the Bible. And we do know, we do know that uh, there is a judgment because of Jesus. You see, we all deserve God's judgment. Um, there's not one person in this building who does not deserve God's judgment. There's not one person in this building who has always done what Ecclesiastes says that we should do, and that is to... Uh, uh, to fear God and to keep his commandments. Uh, I haven't done that and I know that you haven't done it either. We've all sinned against God. And yet instead of punishing us for our sin, God sent his own son who was punished in our place. So that as we trust in his death and as we start living for him, that we can be forgiven of all of our guilt. It means that on the day of judgment, God can say, welcome, your debt has been paid because I've judged my son. That's how much I value you. That's how much I love you. That's how meaningful your life is that I've poured out the judgment which you deserved upon my only son so that you can be forgiven. Which means, friends, that if we seek after meaning and significance outside of the gospel, then we will not find it. Not in this life and not in the next. Um, at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, remember back to chapters 1 and 2? The teacher said that I wanted to find out what it was that made life 
so meaningful. And he said, I, I, I tried wealth. I was the richest man in all of Jerusalem. Uh, I owned this, I owned that. And he says, and I tried pleasure. He said, I denied my eyes nothing that my heart, I denied myself nothing that my heart desired. And he said, and I tried wisdom. And guess what? It was like chasing after the wind. It was elusive. I could not find satisfaction. Which tells us that so long as we pursue our meaning and our satisfaction through things, then we will never find it. It will always escape us. But give up the pursuit of these things and put your trust in Christ and live for him and guess what you'll find? You'll find true wealth. You'll find true pleasure. And you'll find true wisdom as we live for the, for the very one by whom and for whom we have been created, both in this life and the next. What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You want to find joy and satisfaction and fulfilment and meaning in life, then do so by doing the very thing for which you have been created, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. By the way, when do you think is the best time to do this? Well, it's while you're still young. Uh, it's, it's when your life is still ahead of you. It's, it's when you, the decisions of life, the major decisions of life that impact on a whole stack of other things are yet to be made. As the teacher says, it's in the days of your youth. So that when you do that, and I was talking to a bloke after the 9 o'clock service, he was in his 80s, I think, and he said to me, you know, it was, I was 17 when I heard this sermon on John chapter 3, verse 16. I remember the preacher, and he said, I turned my life over to the Lord, and I've been walking with the Lord every day ever since. And you think... When's the best time to turn to the Lord? Well, in your youth. So when you're 70, 80, 90, you can say, well, I've had a life that's been lived walking with the Lord. And you can enjoy throughout your life that uh, sense of, that, of, of true meaning and assurance. And you need to do so before it's too late. So you can leave your run too late, can't you? Sometimes I get phoned up um, <clears throat> and uh, it'll be a nurse from the hospital and uh, she'll say, or he'll say, uh, Mr Smith is very old and he's very sick and the family have asked, can a Christian minister please go and see him? So I trot on up to the hospital, I go, go to the room and uh, I find Mr. Smith's in a coma. And they've, they've switched off the life support. Uh, sometimes it's worse than that. I get there and I find that Mr. Smith is dead. 
And uh, I remember one nurse, she took me into this room and she, <laughs> she says, <laughs> it's, it sounds a bit funny, but it's not when you're there, I tell you. Uh, she says, there's Mr. Smith, there's his body. And she says, um, uh, would you mind please just doing whatever it is that you do? And, uh, and she walks out and closes the door and I'm left there with Mr. Smith. And I'm thinking, it's too late. It's too late. I mean, when is it time to consider remembering your creator? Well, it's not moments before you're about to meet him. Uh, and you never know when that'll happen. But as Ecclesiastes says, you do so now. And if you're young, then all the better. Do it now, especially in the days of your youth, so that you can live the rest of your life at peace with God, assured of your destiny and enjoying the true wealth, the true pleasure and the true wisdom that can be found in one person only, and that is in Christ alone, who is our wealth, who is our pleasure, who is our true wisdom from God. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, this challenging uh, word from Ecclesiastes. We pray for ourselves that we would not be misled by the world into thinking that we can find uh, meaning and satisfaction outside of you. Help us to be people who are committed to uh, knowing you, to trusting you, to loving you and serving you because we're thankful to you that uh, you have injected meaning into our lives through the punishment of sin that has been borne by your son Jesus on the cross. Help us to live in gratitude uh, for him and help us to look forward to that great future that we're now assured of. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.